Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, December the 4th in 2020 on Winter Rise. We're currently in year B and the second Sunday of Advent, leading us up to Christmas. And on Fridays, we like to look at the gospel text for the week. So we're actually going to start the gospel of Mark today, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that emerges from it. So thanks for making this party morning on Winter Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for us. There's a mythical tale between two philosophy giants, Diogenes the Cynic and Plato. Supposedly Plato was trying to have Diogenes come to his senses and stop living in poverty. I mean, Diogenes was so contrary that he would he would just journey around and barely rags for clothes. He would barely live off any food and water. He had to beg for anything. And so Plato tried to speak some sense into him. He tried to say, listen, you could get this gig going and philosophy actually brings you quite Great, you know, this great wealth. And so if you could just learn to, I don't know, spruce up your manners a little bit, you'll be able to eat and drink with anyone. And Diogenes shot back to him and he says, Listen, if you you need to learn a lesson, that if you can learn to subsist on lentils and water, you don't have to bow before the gods. And so Diogenes says, listen, Plato, you're owned and occupied. Um, You can't do our calling faithfully because of all these commitments and the way that you're branded uh, towards doing philosophy one way. And I have that story in mind when I look at John the Baptist. This is the opening of Mark's Gospel. And uh, this is the shortest little summary that we have of John the Baptist in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John. And we don't really know much about him. We know about, about the things that he said, the things that he was doing. Uh, and the things that he was eating, and ultimately what his mission was, and how he fed forward to the coming Messiah. So what are some things that we can learn about John the Baptist? Number one, he wasn't going to be owned by the establishment. Uh, He wasn't doing all the temple rites in the temple setting, but he's doing it in the Jordan River. And people are actually coming out to him because of his popularity. Uh, John was fulfilling the, the call of the Nazarite. If you look back in the first five books of the Old Testament, there's this calling called the Nazarite vow where if you uh, wanted to dedicate a child, your, a child of your life to God, you could learn to fast and these different habits to where you could set yourself apart from the rest. And that's what John was doing here, although he was kind of doing it in a different way. But uh, he was living on the bare necessities. And John knew something. If you could learn to live on the very minimal, that you wouldn't have to bow before anyone else. And therefore, he was able to share this revolutionary message. He said the Messiah is coming, someone more worthy than he. 
was going to come after him. He can't even stoop down to untie his sandals, which is just an idiom of honor. He says, I baptize you with water, but he comes baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptism was a a baptism of confession. They they baptized for a couple different reasons um, in this period of uh, Jewish history. Um, If you were an outsider and you wanted to become a Jew, that was one of the things that you would do. You would be washed um, of all your uncleanliness. If you were a Jew and you had traveled into foreign Gentile lands, you would be baptized in order to become ceremonial clean. Mm -hmm. There was a bath called the mikveh bath that women would have to do after their monthly cycle in order to be bathed in order to come back into the community of believers. So they went from unclean to clean. And so John's baptism was different. He was saying there's moral rot within Israel. And even though you might be an insider Israelite, there's a baptism that you need to undergo in order to prepare you for what's coming. And so here are these insider Jews. They're going not to the temple to pay like a premium to get the right ministry where all the heroes of ministry were doing the ministry. No, they were going out there to a person who was a minimalist, doing things differently. He wasn't owned by the temple establishment, and he was doing old things in new ways. This is a heck of a way to start a gospel. And why would Mark start it this way? Well, a gospel was a genre of literature. It was actually a proclamation in the Roman Empire at this time. And it was basically done by someone who would communicate to different villages the good news that would come from the city of Rome. So if it was like Caesar's birthday, if he won a battle, or if a new Caesar was installed, these runners would go out to all these places. They would sit in the city square and they would announce a gospel, a message of good news, in order to calm the fears of those around them. But here, we're not talking about Caesar. We're talking about some nomadic rabbi figure from a small village called Nazareth. This is a revolutionary document. This should have been you know, carried around in a, you know, a paper bag because it was just loaded uh, with some scandalous content, right? So how do you start off a story like that? You start off a story by announcing a messenger who is so wild that it catches everyone's attention. And he says, you think this is wild? It's gonna get wilder than this, even more wild than this. I think that we need to harness that as we think like the Advent season, as we start our study of Mark's gospel, is that Jesus wasn't tame. Jesus is wild. I love Mark Galley's book. Instead of the the popular hymn, Jesus Meek and Mild, Mark Galley wrote a book, Jesus Mean and Wild, because Jesus does some stuff that's wild in our eyes, and it was wild in the eyes of his contemporaries. And so let me ask a question for all of us this morning as we approach our God. Are we allowing God to be wild, or is our God too tame in order to be classified as a God? When you and I unleash God in our own minds and lives, and may God, this wild God, be able to do whatever he wants to do in our lives and the world around us. Let's pray to that God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're a God who is untamable. I think that you have unleashed your love upon the earth and you make us your people and you make things happen in the world around us. And so God, during this season of Advent, we're waiting, waiting on something to happen. We're not waiting in a, a bit of a vacuum. We are waiting knowing that you are going to do something 
dramatic and demonstrative for the sake of your love and for the sake of your plan. And so God, we thank you that you've scooped us into that fury of activity. And so God, this day we confess to you that sometimes we try to tame you. We try to put you in a box. We try to expect that you're always going to do this thing this way. And so we thank you that we have not been called into that type of expectation of you, but we've been called uh, in worshipful reverence to you where we, we behold you and we celebrate who you are and we confess to you, God, that because you are God, you can do whatever you want. And so, God, this day, in our lives, in our communities, in the world around us, we relinquish our expectations and our projections, and we simply trust in your grace. So may mercy wash over us. Forgive us for the times in which we've tried to anticipate so much and presume so much of who you are. And so, God, this day, help us to respond to what you're doing instead of demanding you to do our thing and to have our agenda. So God, be with us as you do your work in the world around us. Teach us and train us to honor and to worship you and to embrace all of who you are, even those parts of you that we don't quite expect. So God, we love you this day. Allow us to know you and to follow you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.